1: The Athletic
2: Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome to Pod on the Tyne, your go-to new Cats United podcast brought to you by The Athletic. First up, thanks for all your positive feedback after our discussion with Jose Enrique last week. It was an absolute pleasure to speak to him. What a great lad and if you thought that was a treat, you're in for an absolute belter this week. This one's going to be something special. We're celebrating the birthday of the King. Happy Valentine's Day. It's Kevin Keegan's birthday special. And who better to talk about one Newcastle legend than another Newcastle legend? We have got Mr Alan Shearer joining us for a chat. That's going to be amazing. You might want to brace yourselves though as well because we're going to be going back to a pivotal match in the notorious 95-96 title race. And of course there's the return of the quiz and this week it's a Kevin Keegan special and George has cooked up some absolute stinker questions for us and I'm sure he's ready to get his own back on me and Chris. But before all of that, let's speak to the lads, Chris and George. Chris, how are you doing? Are you well?
3: Uh, Well, I'm trying not to think about last night's game too much. I cheered myself up by making pancakes as well because it is obviously Pancake Tuesday. Oh, it's Tuesday, yeah. yeah, Delicious, so yeah. I forgot about that. So I just forget
2: about the football. How are you doing, George? Are you Good.
4: Yes, I'm very, very much walking in the Keegan wonderland. I'm not prepared <laughs> to allow the current incarnation of Newcastle to spoil anything. And Keegan, Shearer, what could be better? I mean, just I mean it's a perfect
2: combination, isn't it?
4: It's just in- incredible. And, you know, Keegan was Shearer's hero as a kid and they got to work together and now Shearer's interviewed Keegan. It was just great, yeah. It reminds you of Newcastle's power and Obviously, it's in the past now, but it also reminds you yeah. of Newcastle's potential when they're all rowing in the same direction, as Kevin put it in that interview.
2: Absolutely, in that piece, the the Alan Shearer interview with Kevin Keegan is available at the minute on the Athletic. Chris, have you got anything coming up this week?
3: Well, just to briefly touch upon the the, the unfortunate modern day, I have done a piece on <laughs> on on the Chelsea Must game. Must we? Well, unfortunately, <laughs> and, and the Chelsea game, and basically, it's sort of it's almost looking at the fact that. In some ways, if you would have stepped away and think of it not as a fan and look at it rationally, Newcastle are still seven points ahead of Fulham, albeit Fulham got two games to play before Newcastle next play. They've actually won two of their last four games. The form is better, but yet it feels so much worse. And and Monday felt really bad. And there seems to be the sense of trepidation. So there's a piece about that. And then also a very special Freddie Woodman interview coming out later in the week. I spoke to him about his time down at Swansea. He's doing really well there. there in the promotion hunt and he speaks about Newcastle. So yeah, that interview is coming out later in the week
2: brilliant well before we get into all of that let me just tell you the champions league returns this week Not i don't know why you would need to know that as a newcastle <laughs> fan but it does uh and there's no better time to sign up for our unrivaled coverage at the athletic until february 25th we're offering new subscribers a half price annual subscription that's less than a pound a week for an entire year to redeem that limited time offer go to theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod that's theathletic.com forward slash newcastle pod and you and keep up with all of the wonderful Newcastle United Champions League news. <laughs> I think
4: if it was championship, you might, oh, you a might championship, get a few yeah. Newcastle fans signing up for that. Yeah, we could get away with that. Yeah, sign up, you know, use that promo, that's fine. But read about Kevin Keegan and Alan Shearer, come on. Fantastic. Well, listen, lads,
2: let's not beat around the bush anymore. We've got a fantastic, exciting episode to get on with. We're going to talk to Alan Shearer now. Come on, let's get on with this. Shearer!
5: was all. Today, and
2: there it was. well ladies and gentlemen please be upstanding, put your hands together out there in audio land and welcome a very very special guest today we have got none other than newcastle legend mr alan shearer joining us hello alan how are you doing i'm very
1: well thank you how's everyone
2: yeah we're not bad george and chris are here as well and it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast thanks so much for uh, for coming on
1: i can see their ugly mugs they look fine
6: yet yeah. <laughs>
2: Well, I mean, before we get into this, we've got lots to talk about today. We're going to talk about your foundation and also about Kevin Keegan as well. Um, but just before we start, what was all that about last night, the Chelsea game? It wasn't great, was it?
1: Um, no, I think that's being polite. Uh, it was. Um, I was working on it for uh, the Premier League. And, um, so it was, uh, yeah, it was poor first off. Showed nothing, um, didn't ask. Anything uh, of Chelsea defensively, um, second half, the intensity improved slightly, but still, um, I thought Chelsea were in cruise control. It, it was a bit like a practice match for them. I thought they never were under any serious threat and probably a little bit of combination of Newcastle stepping it up a little bit and Chelsea thinking the game was won in the second half and they just saw the game out and um, yeah, I thought it was, it was poor. Yeah, Steve Bruce said the second
2: half was an improvement, but it, it, it was very flat, wasn't it? There wasn't really anything there. It was it, it turned into a bit of a dull affair in that second half.
1: No, um, it was. It, it couldn't be any worse in the first half because it was. Uh, I thought it was it was dreadful in the uh, in the first half. But it, there was a slight improvement, only slight. I mean, they got higher up the pitch. There was more intensity in their play, um, but only only slightly. We never, I never ever once felt that they could or, or would go on to get back into the uh, back into the game. Um, And Callum Wilson's pace and experience and and know-how was sadly missed last night.
4: It's a strange situation where in the past few weeks, Newcastle have probably played their best football of the season, but they're in 17th place and the league table does not look good. And obviously Fulham winning their last match, that's a source of concern. Are we worried yet? Should we be worried? Are you worried? Are you concerned about the league position?
1: Um, Slightly, um, yeah, slightly concerned. I mean, Fulham had a great result at Everton, played really well. They might have found a goal scorer uh, because that's the one thing that I think that Fulham have been missing because when you look at their games, a lot of them uh, have been drawn um, and you just think with someone who can put the ball on the back of the net, someone who can sniff a chance out from six seven eight yards then they could be a different team so from their point of view very good Um, but from a Newcastle point of view no um, that's not good particularly when we have injuries ourselves and losing our best player and our our important striker who can put the ball in the back of the net so yeah slightly concerned do I think that we will go down no I don't but I'm, I'm not sitting comfortable no you
3: mentioned Wilson being out Alan I mean last night Gail. I don't know whether it was he hasn't played a lot of football whether the role was slightly different didn't suit him but he didn't look particularly comfortable for, for most of last night what what do you think is the answer because obviously Newcastle don't have a leg for leg replacement for Callum Wilson What, what how do you think they can try and compensate for what is going to be two months without the best player?
1: Yeah, well, if you look at the the, the system change that this that Newcastle have had over the past few games it's it's playing with two split strikers and obviously Almeron uh, in behind and at times even Callum Wilson finds himself on the right hand side and having to uh, having to track back a bit when uh, when he was playing but certainly that last night didn't suit Dwight Gale. I mean Dwight Gale is a striker who wants to get in and around the six-yard box. Um, It would probably be slightly harsh to judge him on last night's performance because it'll be slightly easier and slightly better for him and the team, I think, if they were to play at home against a lesser team, um, perhaps against Wolves, would be a better barometer to judge him on. Um, but no, that role last night didn't suit him and Newcastle just didn't look comfortable in it because they never really got started, never really got going. You've never seen... You've never seen the intent, you've never seen Newcastle go after uh, Chelsea like you have in the in the past two or three games.
2: Alan, just before we go any further, I just want to check, is George's Zoom background really upsetting you or putting you off in any way? Or, it, <laughs> I'll be honest, it's freaking me out a little bit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's my last ever kick of a football lap picture behind George. In my professional career, yeah, that's my goal at, uh, at Sunday my that
6: will taste very nice indeed.
1: I never kicked another football after that. Oh
2: wow! Well, thanks Great for that picture, board. George. Don't <laughs> let them bully you. <laughs> 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 oh, fantastic! Well, Alan, I want to move on a little bit now. I want to talk to you a little bit about the the foundation, about the Alan Shearer Foundation, about the fantastic work you're doing, and also you've got a, an amazing competition raffle going on at the minute as well. What what's new with the foundation? And what's happening at the moment?
1: Well, like all charities, um, nothing is, is the answer. Nothing's going on at all. We're, uh, we're still busy funding the people that live in there. Unfortunately, the centre side of it is uh, is shut down, the activity centre, because people can't go. And the only people that can use it are the residents in there, uh, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, we've not been able to raise any funds for the last 12 months because of obvious reasons, exactly the same as every other charity, I, uh, I suppose. So I thought, well, how can I help? Um, and I thought the easiest and quickest and best way to help would be to try and give a, 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 good, a decent prize away. So, so I looked around them. As, as you may know, I've got uh, plenty of tops and boots and what have you um, from over the years that, that mean a lot to me. And there are some very special ones. I just thought that giving one of those away, um, it would help try and raise much needed funds and that we could give to the foundation because for that uh, activity centre to be given away for free, that costs us around 250 grand a year. So we need the funds, um, and I, uh, I I asked my kids if they would if they would mind I give that uh, that top away the my 250th Premier League goal and the boots and the armband that I scored against Man City back in 2005 February 2005, and they very kindly agreed. So we put it up for a prize draw. I mean, the the decision then was I mean, what can we put it up for? Is it five pound, ten pound, twenty pound? I mean, so we decided on ten pound. We I understand it's a lot of money, but Goodness me, the response has just been phenomenal. I mean, the last time I looked, I think it was £109,000 and we've got another six days to go, I think, um, which has just been, I mean, the response has been phenomenal. Uh, and I'll, whoever wins it, I'm, I've, I've got nothing to do with the draw um, because I know plenty of my friends have, um, have bought tickets as well. So I've said I want nothing to do with it. So someone will do the draw and then I'll, um, I'll either present the uh, the top and the boots to someone at my centre, if they can make it up there when we're allowed to, or I can get it posted to them and I'll do a Zoom call with them and, and thank everyone for their support.
4: Yeah, so tell, firstly, you should tell us how people can enter that draw.
1: Yeah, they can enter, George, thanks, by going on to my social media channels, uh, Twitter and Instagram at Alan Shearer. And there's, the, there's a link there that will take you uh, that will take you to it. You'll be able to see how much we've raised so far. You'll, all, you'll also be able to see the, uh, the great work the Alan Shearer Foundation does. I mean, you know as well as I do that I had my testimonial in, um, in 2006 and we raised around about £1.6 million from that game. I mean, the easy part was, was giving the money away. I was never, ever going to keep that money. But the hard part was deciding who I could give it to, because there is no such thing as a bad charity. Uh, and we, we sort of set the, the vast majority or, or, or most of it was, was given to set up this, uh, this centre and, and my foundation. And I was determined not just to hand the money over and just walk away from it. I wanted to give the money to them and then to take an active part in it. Um, and it was a, it was an old derelict building that needed uh, that needed kitting out. And um, we got to work, or everyone got to work, and we've we've now got this amazing centre with sensory rooms, with bedrooms, with hydrotherapy pool, with cinema room, with music rooms. Which is unbelievable, and it's there for people with complex disabilities. It's an amazing place. You've been there yourself, George, and it means so much to uh, to me and uh, and and the family. And we love going up there and seeing the energy and the happiness that it gives so many people.
4: You mentioned that I've been there. I, I came up last year and interviewed you there, and wanted to to write about that and write about sort of you as a you as a person. And oh, I was blown away by it. As you say, it sort of. I think the thing that I was um sort of most taken with was that it is this kind of very grand austere building, but then inside it's a kind of riot of color and happiness and kids smiling and everybody who was there was sort of saying that it offers something that isn't available anywhere else mm. and so it's a real and so i mean it's it must be it must be really tough for those people who now can't who who obviously can't can't use it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've had, I've had several messages, George, on um, on Twitter telling me how much the people are, uh, are missing it and how much they sort of look forward to going and how much it is a, a release for them. Um, because it is a respite centre. If you have got a child with a disability, you can sort of take them there for an hour, for two hours, all day, a weekend, and it just gives their parents a little bit of a... Little bit of a break, and it also gives them a chance to, I suppose, see that that put some smiles on 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 people's faces, and of course, that's what's needed at this uh, at this difficult time. And they can't get up there, um, but I mean, it, it's not just me. I mean, I would it couldn't operate without the kindness of uh, of so many people, because as I said, we need two hundred and fifty thousand pounds a year to help give that away for free and and to run the yeah to run the centre. So what we do to raise. Funds for that is that we have a ball and we have a, a golf day every year. And for the last seven years, we've had a we've had an unbelievable uh, black tie ball at the Hilton Hotel in, uh, in Gateshead. there Where I mean, for the for free as well, these guys have come and done it for free just to support me and to support the foundation. We've had the likes of Ed Sheeran and Lewis Capaldi and Marcus Mumford, Mumford and Sons, Jess Glynn, Oli Mers, Gary Barlow, Ronan Keating, um, Michael McIntyre. All these guys have come and performed for us uh, for nothing, and that's where we get the vast majority of our funds. But of course, we've not been able to do that the last twelve months, and hence we are here with with me giving my top and my uh, my boots away, and it'll go a long way to uh, to help and fund it for the next twelve months.
4: I think when you when you list out those names, it's very very sort of you know they're very famous people, and it's a, your ball is a amazing sort of night, but. Again, I think the thing about the foundation is just sort of how democratic it is and how it's sort of open to everybody. The people who go there, they don't pay anything. And I think the other thing that, you know, without sort of embarrassing you, well, I'll embarrass you a little bit, so I don't really care. <laughs> was that sort of was was how when you walked through the door, everybody knew who you were. I mean, I, so in other words, it doesn't matter if you never ever went to visit it, but you, you raise money for it. But you walk through the door and you were immediately recognized by everybody and you go there sort of every three or four weeks when it's open and it's become a sort of huge passion for you and I think you said you said at the time it's one of the things that helped fill the void for you post playing yeah having this incredible facility for people but it's it's not something that you just give money to and then leave it to to run itself you're very much part of the fabric of it aren't you
1: when I walk through the door I'm just cheerer. <laughs> they don't really give a damn what i've done they might not even know that i've played football which is is a relief for me, that I can just walk in there and be and be who I am and be normal and 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 go around and see everyone and yeah, everyone knows uh, knows my name, but the kids might not know what I did. The kids might not know that I used to score goals for a living for uh, for Newcastle. So, but that's I think that's great for me as well that I can go up there and I can have a bit of a a release and, and enjoy myself. But what the enjoyment gives me is is just seeing everyone else being so so happy in there. And it's my way of trying to give something back because, I mean, Jesus, I mean, I was such a lucky lad to play football. I, I would have played football even if I hadn't have been paid for it. I just so happened to be half decent at it and I, and I got a few quid for, for playing it. So um, that's my way of trying to give something back. Can you imagine the pride and the pleasure that I get by driving on the A69, when I see a sign saying the Alan Shearer Center, and then I can go in there and see this huge building with all the facilities that I've mentioned and seeing all these people using it. It's um it's it's amazing for me. I love it.
2: It's incredible. And it's it's clear that you're very emotionally and personally invested in this. And it's it's not just a thing to stick the Alan Shearer name on it. It's very much a uh, you know, it's a it's an amazing place. Uh, and like you say, I, I always get that when I drive past that sign on the A69 and say it, and I think. Oh, the Alan Shearer Foundation—that's fantastic. It's smooth it must make you feel amazing.
1: Yeah, it does. I'm very, uh, I'm very, very proud of it. As I said, it's it's a great place. All the staff that run it are all dedicated, and and uh, and, and, and look forward to going there and enjoy. I think that's important. Also, you've got to enjoy going into uh, into into your uh, into their job. They really do enjoy, it, and I can see that on all uh, on all their faces, which is hugely important to me.
2: Fantastic stuff. Well, we're going to move on a little bit now, and we're going to talk about uh, the main man himself. It's been his birthday on Valentine's Day, Mr. Kevin Keegan. Uh, We want to spend a little bit of time talking to you about him. And I've read the interview that you did with him recently. um, And it, it was a wonderful, wonderful read. And it got a fantastic response on social media over the weekend. And a lot of Newcastle fans were actually quite emotional reading that. What was it like for you speaking to Kevin after all this time?
1: Yeah, do you know that, that's so spooky? Just I just looked at my phone and my phone's going, and I can see it come up. It's Keegan Mobile, he just tried to ring me <laughs> because he's just had a nice bottle of wine delivered to say <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, he I mean, was he was he um, was my hero. I, I went to watch uh, I went to watch Kevin as a uh, an eleven year old when he made his debut in nineteen eighty two. It was wasn't it against QPR as a as a player, um, and I was like. All the other thousands of kids who used to follow him around, I was a Pied Piper. So to to watch him, then I, I wanted to be in his boots. Uh, I wanted to be that iconic figure that that once ran on to to, uh, to St James's Park and was was adored by the fans. I wanted that feeling. I wanted what he had, and that sort of helped drive me uh, to try and be a professional footballer. Uh, everyone's got heroes. Everyone's got idols. He was mine. I was lucky enough to to go to one of his old Blue Star soccer days that they did, the brewery did back then. And that was it. That uh, I just, I loved Newcastle. I stood on the Gallagher as a kid. So to go and watch him and then to watch him do what he did as a manager and then to for him to eventually um, buy me, or not him personally, but then the club that he was managing, Newcastle High Club, to then pay that world record fee for me. It was was brilliant. I mean, I've kept in touch with him anyway. I often bump into him now and again. Um, The thing that everyone will say about Kevin Keegan, whether you speak to him now or whether you speak to him 20, 30, 40 years ago, the thing that everyone will say is, is how passionate he is, how enthusiastic he is how much time he'll give people. I mean, that's never changed. That, that was when I went to see him when I was a 12 and 13-year-old. He sat down and signed as many autographs as he wanted. I mean, he must have been fed up with me as a kid because I used to go to the training ground. I used to go to the ground. I was one of these kids that I used to hang around. I used to stand outside my, my school gates and wait for him to drive past Gosworth High Street in his uh, in his jaguar um so he, he must have thought i was a stalker or a pestler. <laughs> but i just that's what's that's that's what i thought of him um fantastic and he just has so much passion for football and and the biggest thing is he gets it he gets what fans want he gets what people want um and that's what he gave to newcastle
0: this episode is brought to you by michelob ultra the official beer sponsor of the nba want to get closer to the game than ever before
3: Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human and customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
4: I was very, very lucky. I'm a very, very lucky lad because I got to listen to their Alan's conversation with Kevin last week and you know, I think I said it was the most enjoyable 90 minutes I've had for a, for a very, very long time. Hearing two of the sort of biggest icons in Newcastle's history chatting away with each other, I would have been happy if that had lasted forever. Um, I mean, I was a fan when Keegan was manager the first time and went down to Maiden Castle and was one of those thousands of people outside the training ground. I mean, I think the thing to remember is it's that great reminder of how powerful a successful Newcastle can be, and how good that team was. And I know you only worked with him for a short period of time, Alan. But that was Newcastle absolutely at its peak, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I used to go. I used to when I was with Blackburn. I used to go away with England, and a couple of the Newcastle lads were there, Rob Lee and what have you. And they used to tell me about the training sessions. How many thousands of fans used to go to their training sessions? And I, I showed you at George, didn't I, the other day about that yeah. It was, I dug a picture out of thousands of people at Durham on the training ground. I mean, there were 10, 15 deep halfway around the pitch. And and I just thought, I don't know. But then I, I signed for Newcastle and then became part of that. And I just thought, my God, it was like, it, I mean, obviously couldn't do it now for security reasons, but that was just Kevin. That was him Wanting to engage with the fans, wanting the fans to be part of the club. And it was, it was an unreal experience, I promise. I mean, driving into training every day and seeing thousands of people, I used to think, and I said, well, why, why aren't all these people and kids at school or at work? And they used to come and watch this. And, and Kevin's training sessions were always fun, were always five or six asides. And I mean, it must have been brilliant for the fans to come in and to, uh, to be part of that.
2: It was, yeah. I used to, I used to go down in school holidays occasionally with uh I recognise your face for a
1: fest like I was to Keegan, wouldn't you, with all the autographs all the time. Absolutely, <laughs>
2: yeah. Never stopped. <laughs> Alan, I
3: just wanted to ask you about coming back to Newcastle. Obviously it was your club and you said you stood on the on the Gallagher and, and, and there was that emotional connection. But what what role did, did, did Kevin Keegan really have in that? How influential was he in helping you make that decision? Because obviously Manchester United were interested in you as well. He, he was the world record transfer fee. You won the best strikers in the world at the time. What? How influential was Kevin?
4: No, he was the best striker in the world.
3: Uh, <laughs> oh. My apologies, yes.
4: Well
1: said, George. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't sign for Kevin Keegan. I signed for Newcastle. Uh, and I think that's always important when someone is making that decision. Uh, but yeah, he was, I mean, I go back to all the things about him being passionate and being enthusiastic. It was, it was blatantly obvious how much he loved Newcastle, uh, how much he wanted to be a success and, and go on and, and win things. Uh, and all of that came across in the meeting. I saw both him and uh, Sir Alex on the same day in the same house. The Newcastle contingent came in the morning um could see them coming all in their blacked out cars and pulling into the drive and it was like a presidential thing it was it was unbelievable <laughs> um douglas and freddie and uh, the guys from the brewery and then kevin what have you um we were in actually in david platts mother-in-law's house uh, in cheshire wow and then um talks had, had gone great and then i saw alex in the uh, in the afternoon and i sort of went i went home and um I said, I said to the missus, I said, uh, I think I'm going to go to Man United. I think I've made my mind up. Uh, I'm not certain yet, but I'm going to give it a few days. And then I got a call a couple of days later off Kevin. said, can I have another meeting with you? Can I have another, um, another half an hour with you? He said the team are due to fly out to the Far East on a pre-season trip. Uh, but I'd like another half an hour with you, so I said, "Yeah, of course." And I was still, I still hadn't made my mind up. I was back to being 50-50 then, whether it was Newcastle or, or Man United, and, and I just sat down with Kevin again, and all the memories of me and the Gallagher so, sort of came flooding back. Um, and I, I, I believe it or not, of all places, I went to, uh, I went to meet him in, uh, in in Manchester, just near Manchester Airport, because he was going to fly straight out to the uh, to the Forest, and. I thought, you know what, I'm going to sign for Newcastle. My mind's made up, that's it, I'm going home. I can't let this opportunity go. It's always been my dream to go back home. Um, And that was it. I rang the missus up and I said, I'm at Manchester Airport. I'm going to sign for Newcastle. Can you pack me a bag? (laughs) You're going to have to send it in a taxi. Because I lived in Formby, which is near Liverpool. I said, "Uh, I need a bag. I'm going to be away for about 10 days. You're going to have to either you bring it or put it in the taxi. Uh, and she did she packed me a bag she put it in a taxi it was delivered to Manchester Airport and that was it I never ever went back home I never went back to that house I went out to the uh, to the Far East on uh, pre-season and, um, and that was it so that was the decision made
2: Incredible it must have been an amazing feeling coming back and everyone seen those images of you outside of St James's Park with all the fans there and stuff and again it was like a Tuesday afternoon or something and all the kids were there and there was nobody at school in the surrounding areas it's just an incredible scene and watching the video now it looks amazing. I couldn't believe it
1: I mean I should have known what was what was going to happen really but I just couldn't believe the the reaction I mean I don't know how many was there 15 or 16,000 it was a dreadful day in terms of the weather it was pouring rain. And we'd done all we had to do inside the ground, the formalities, uh, etc. Uh, and then the unveiling. it was at The back of the uh, of the leases end on the corner, wasn't it? We we're just looking over over the uh, over the car park. There'd been a stand built and what have you. But then, I, and I walked out into this sea of black and white cheering fans. And, and again, I thought, oh, gee, this. I'm, I don't know whether it was a school day or not. I can't remember. But um, I mean, there was the, the response and. It was just amazing. Then I knew then I'd done the right thing.
4: And it was, it was an astonishing spell that, I mean, it was the end of it really for you, but Kevin had been responsible along with Sir John and the others really just completely and utterly reshaping the team and the club playing that extraordinary football. And, you know, you said, you say very eloquently in that, in the interview that without him, you know, the modern Newcastle just wouldn't exist. And, you know, for all that there's been a very sort of you know bitter sort of fallout between him and the and the current regime, his place in history should be marked at Newcastle, shouldn't it? I mean, I know he wouldn't accept it. He made that point himself. But we should be able to sort of celebrate his contribution to Newcastle in the same way that we can see your contribution there with your statue. The way we can see Sir Bobby recognise Jackie Melbourne as well. He should have some sort of permanent memorial. It sounds like he yeah. passed away, but you know, what I
1: mean? without doubt. <laughs> He should have a stand named after him or a statue or, or, or something that recognises what he did for that football club. Because you're right, I mean, so Bobby wouldn't have been there. So Bobby wouldn't have had his statue. I wouldn't have been there. I wouldn't have had my statue. The ground wouldn't have been there. The ground was an old, decrepit, fallen to pieces ground. Um I mean, he came in and he saved the club. He, he revolutionised the uh, the club, changed it from top to bottom. Um, so, yeah, there's there's no doubt about it. That, uh, and I would think that any, if or when Newcastle is ever taken over, then I would think it would be the simplest thing to do for new owners is to come in and it would be a great piece of PR for whoever that is going to be, whether it's in a month's time or 10 years' time or whenever it may be that um, they would recognise what Kevin Keegan uh, did for Newcastle United.
5: Do I want to go back and be sat next to Derek Lambias or uh, Mike Ashley? You know, I wouldn't want to go back there. You know, someone said to me Saturday afternoon, where would you like to go, Liverpool or Newcastle? Sadly, not sadly, because I love Liverpool too, but it'd be Liverpool every time because everybody's treated properly there, you know, not ridiculously over the top, but you may welcome. I don't miss Newcastle because if I went to Newcastle, I'd want to go back and enjoy it. The best day in the lab is when he sells the club because mm. anybody, and I mean anybody, can run it better. It cannot be run worse than it is. I've had people emailing me saying they're very interested and I don't know the people. And mm. So I've had a couple of those, if you like, phishing emails. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people who do it properly, they'll do it... In a way, what's very open, and, and they'll buy the club first, I guess, and then they'll look at what they need to do to get it back somewhere where it was, you
6: know.
4: It's PR, but it's also about recla- being allowed to reclaim that history, isn't it? I mean, for all of us, whether you're fans, whether it's former players like yourself, um, you know, former player manager, and but you know, it's so difficult to feel that sense of love around at the at the club at the moment to feel like you belong to part you know to something so being able to celebrate our heroes is you know it's, it's what football's about isn't it it's not just what's happening on the pitch now it's about the past
1: yeah well I mean I, we, I've, I've, we've been lucky George over the over the past few months we've been able to interview some iconic figures in the world of of football I mean whether that's Ronald Koeman I mean Ronald Koeman is manager of the biggest football club in the world and now in, in Barcelona Stephen Gerrard was a unbelievable player now doing great things at Rangers Frank Lampard in England great obviously hasn't worked out with Chelsea for the for for what it, it, it and all these guys but the reaction to Kevin Keegan I mean that 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 piece that we did at the weekend the reaction to that was unbelievable I mean that tells you the feeling that people have for him here in in Newcastle and appreciate what he did for their football club and you know why They know why they've got that feeling? Because he gave them their football club back. And and whenever he addresses Newcastle United, it's always the people. It's always there. It's always them. It's not nothing ever to do about him, although it should be as far as we're concerned. But that's why the people engage so well with him, because he gives them their football club.
2: He's still massively loved up here, isn't he? And I, I think that's always going to be the case. And and like you say, a stand or a, a statue or something would be a really fitting tribute to him. With the way things are at the minute with Newcastle, he's he said in the interview it was difficult to come back and he, he didn't feel comfortable coming back. And obviously, I know you've had your disagreements and stuff over the years with the regime, and it's been you still come back to the to the ground to watch games when you can. I mean, how must it must be hard for him to? To deal with that, because Newcastle's in his blood, isn't it? And but he said in the interview he'd be more comfortable going to Liverpool than he would coming to Newcastle. And I completely understand that.
1: Yeah, it is. I mean, he's only been back twice. He told us that once was um, he was in disguise, and once was for the unveiling of my <laughs> statue outside of the uh, outside. It's of, so
2: Kevin Keegan. Isn't it? it is yeah outside
1: <laughs> of the football club. Um, but yeah, it's, I mean, I, I I'm not. I mean. I, as you know, I'm friendly with with the manager, and he would have no problem inviting me into the training ground or to the uh, or to the ground. And I've been in, but I don't, I don't, I don't feel welcome. I don't. I mean, I just go in, I do what I have to do. I work. I go into a friend's box when we could, um, and I, I leave again. So there's no. I just go and watch the football if or when I can. I mean, I, it's not very often that I could go in there, even if we could be in there. Um, so yeah, it's it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult for him, but it, it, I mean, it shouldn't be after what he achieved for our football club. It's, I just don't see, I don't see the point in any of it.
4: Yeah, do you know what I, hate, I? The the thing I hated. I don't mean I hated because he said it, but I hate that he felt it when he said, you know, there's there's that two parts of you. On the one part, of course, I want Newcastle to do well. On the other side of it, you know, there's part of me that doesn't want Newcastle to do well because because he feels so sort of sad or upset about the way the club's run and you know I'm sure that will kind of resonate with a lot of Newcastle fans but I mean I look forward to the day when Newcastle feels like a kind of proper football club again and he's allowed to come back and the noise that will be made with people singing his name again it's a lovely thing he he tapped into the club and the club's potential in a way that we just haven't seen before and I doubt we'll see again somebody who just got it who understood and just saw the club for how big it can be.
1: It's not a unique situation. I mean, Kevin told us a story about what happened to him when he walked out um, six months or whatever it was after I signed. Um, Yeah, it's a difficult situation for so many. Um, Unfortunately, we can't do anything about it. We can keep on doing what we have to do. But yeah, it's a tough one. Um, Really, really difficult. I know the pain um, that that he's gone through.
5: I feel sad for the punters because I know what they're like, you know. I I know, I know, you know, uh, what helped me a lot when I went to play for Newcastle in 82, 84 was the breweries paid most of my contract. I mean, Newcastle didn't. So I had to do uh, nights, uh, usually about one a week. I was going in the working men's clubs and the big pubs, you know, and we'd have these like uh, talkings. And where you learn, about your club you know the passion for the club if you're just a footballer who goes and then you go to your house at night and then you go and play on a saturday and then you go back to your house you don't get that when you go into the clubs you know and people are coming up to you and you see the passion it has a massive effect on you so uh, i'm not saying players should do that now but i think players don't understand that now they're almost shielded from it the buses go under the stadium the players don't come out and sign autographs, you know. They get cars to pick them up at the back and they're off, you know. We definitely invested a lot of time in getting to know, Oh, oh I did, because of my deal. It was forced on me, really, so I'm not being clever when I say that. But it get me, oh, wow, you know. Because mm. I never had that at Liverpool or Hamburg, you know. I never went and really had a massive mix with the supporters, but in Newcastle I did. So you get to know what they're like and you know what they want. They don't mind you losing 3-2 if it's a great game, but they don't
3: want to see a nil-nil. It's a strange thing to say, but and that's probably why we didn't win the league. Can you just tell us, Alan, what it was like actually playing for Kevin and actually being in that team... Obviously, the, the, the brilliant players that there were, the, the likes of David Ginola, you and Les Ferdinand up front. Did it click straight away? Was it different to what you'd experienced before? What, what was it that he said to you before he went out on the pitch?
1: Um, go and win. <laughs> <It was> so, <laughs> honestly, was, uh, he had that much sort of belief in... Uh, I'd come from Blackburn uh, with Kenny. And Kenny was director of football with Blackburn the year I left because we'd won the league the year before and would had gone upstairs but it was the same principle with Ray Harford, we were well organised um, albeit they never ever stopped us trying things and going out and, and letting us express our ability but then coming to Newcastle was, uh, was slightly different I mean there was myself, Les Peter Tino, Ginola Keith Gillespie. Um, I mean, it just—it just didn't—it—it it did not seem right. It couldn't function. All of those—all of those players. But <laughs> Kevin was—was was determined to try and get as many of us in the team as uh, as, as possible, and he—and he did most of the time. My first game was uh, was Man United in a charity shield, and we got smacked four <laughs> 0 at Wembley, uh, which yeah. I was thinking, oh my god! But then the first league game, if I remember correctly, we went to Goodison um, against Everton, uh, and we got done two nil. And I thought, and I thought, my god, what have I done here? What a Rick I've made here coming to this club. But it got it got better after that. I scored in my my home debut against uh, against Wimbledon, and then things started to improve then but yeah it was, it was literally just go and show us what you've got lads, go and play and if you want to do that you can go and do that go and try things, go and entertain because that's what, it, that's what he was, that's what he wanted us to do and it was at times I mean because of where I'd come from I'd had two unbelievable wingers in Wilcox and Ripley at Blackburn which the, the, the system at Blackburn was just designed for me and Chris Sutton to go and score goals and then I've come to Newcastle uh, and I'm, I've got Tino who's doing tricks and flicks and this, that. I've got Ginnola on the left side, unbelievable ability, going past someone, thinking, <laughs> all right, well, I'll stop and I'll beat him again. And I'm making all these runs and I think, Jesus Christ, is there any chance of getting some balls into the box? And then after five or six games, myself and, uh, and David had, uh, had words in the dressing room and then... <laughs> Things were all right after that.
4: That's a euphemism if ever I've heard one. <laughs> words. <laughs> yeah, there
1: were, there, were different, there were different words. We didn't quite come to blows, but we had interesting words. It wasn't far away. But then, uh, but then after that, yeah, we, uh, things were great. Balls were flying into the uh, flying into the box, left, right, and centre. And myself and Les, were, again, it was dreamland with having those two on on the wing, whip, whipping all those balls.
4: I love that story that Kevin told about, you know, he was like talking just generally about the team, but he sort of said, you know, we even had full backs who wanted to get, so it's like, you've got Janola on one side, <laughs>
2: yeah.
4: Beresford gives him the ball. And then the first thing Beresford does is go past. And he told that story about, yeah. about, yeah. Uh, about uh, standing on the tights and I said, you know, Bez, Bez, just hang back, let him go. And then Bez <laughs> turning around and telling him to fuck off.
1: <laughs> <laughs> then he dragged him off, didn't he? got oh, him, him off, off and turned him for a swear knife. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. If you were a central defender in, at the time in the Premier League and you look up and you see Alan Shearer and Les Ferdinand standing on the halfway line ready to kick off, you'd shit yourself,
1: wouldn't you? You would absolutely shit yourself. That was the good thing. I mean, even when, uh, when Les left... Uh, and then we managed to. We got big dunking uh, after that as well. And of course, with me and Les or me and Dunk stood in the uh, in the tunnel. Honestly, I think half of our battles were won before we actually went onto the pitch because we both could look after ourselves. We both liked the physical battle. We were both decent in the air. Les was quicker than I was. We could both score goals. Um, so yeah, so much for uh, for two big men not working together in a partnership.
2: <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, listen, Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on. The Keegan piece was brilliant and good luck with everything with the foundation this year as well. And let's see how high we can get that raffle to go. It was, it's an amazing cause.
1: Appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night.
6: Shearer hits it! Oh, what a goal! Shearer takes Newcastle to Wembley.
2: Oh well, lads, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like I need a bit of a lie down after that. What an incredible <sighs> half an hour of chat with a legend about a legend. It was just an—it was a wonderful interview with Shearer.
4: Legend squared, the legend, legend cubed.
2: Outstanding stuff. We're going to go back now. We're going to go back in the annals of time as we do often on the uh, on the podcast and we're going to think about a game which was a pivotal moment in the 95-96 title challenge, a game which Keegan talks about and Shira talked about in that interview as well. Uh, and we're going to have a little look at that now. But first, just have a little listen to this. The
4: great sporting arena of St James's Park plays host
3: to a game that is certainly going to shape the destiny of the 1995-96 Premiership title.
5: Man United at was the turning point because we absolutely battered them.
6: Ferdinand has made the run, there's Ferdinand! Good save again by Schmeichel. Second time in the opening five minutes that Schmeichel has denied Ferdinand. Schmeichel was unbelievable. They can't cope
2: with uh, Ferdinand and uh, Faustino Asprilla.
5: Five. Yeah, that's suppose it went better the year we lost one nil.
6: There's on. it's off the woodwork! And Guggenheim almost got a second bite!
5: Do you think so, yeah? Uh, yeah, you look, have a look back at Schmeichel's performance in that
6: game. The
5: chances that we have... Good Dreymel!
6: The block shots, isn't mm. He's going for a second time. Ball
3: away. Ball waiting in the box, this is Giggs who's let it run for Cole. He's
6: run along the whole line, Phil Neville's cross, Antonov coming in, and he's scored for Manchester United! If we'd have won 2 or 3-0
5: when you play, and we beat them 5, it probably would have been about right. And if we'd have uh, beaten them 5-0 when we lost 1-0, it would have been spot on, you know? Crucially.
3: Touchdown from Ferdinand, possibility for Lee, and again it's the frame of Peter Schmeichel that makes sure there's no
6: sight
5: of... they the little things that you can't change, but you know it wasn't meant to be. Final whistle
6: has gone.
3: Eric Cantona's goal may well prove crucial when the history of the
6: 1995-96
5: season... You just look at it now, Cynthia so Castle, uh, point of view, and you think, when when will the other get another
6: chance?
2: Wiping away a single saline tear <laughs> trickling down my cheek. <laughs>
6: oh my God. Oh, my oh God. Geez. Cheers, man.
2: Oh, dear, dear, dear. Oh,
4: dear, dear. Wow.
2: It does um. not stir some memories up listening to that, doesn't it? I mean, along with Keegan's uh, input there as well, God almighty, how close we came. How close we came. And that game itself was just, it was, it was phen- the turning point,
4: wasn't it? It was a phenomenal game. I mean, I'm still staggered to hear him say that it could have been 5-0, but I, I was there. I was in the stand. I was in yeah. what was my season ticket at the time in the Gallagher and watching it, and it was just absolutely extraordinary. It was just wave after wave after wave after wave of Newcastle attack. And it was like, you no, know, we're going to win. We're going to win. Yeah. And then I sort of have that dim memory of the, of at some point in that game that it's like, it's it's we're not going to win. It's like, this is going to be one of those, this is going to be one of those games. And Schmeichel was astonishing. I think that is the best goalkeeping performance in terms of like a whole game that I've ever seen. And yeah, leaving with that just sense of emptiness because Cantona got that goal. And I mean, you have to remember, though. I mean, it's it's a very Newcastle story. This for us, for obvious reasons. Yeah. But Manchester United were astonishing in the second half of that season. They were relentless, they, weren't they? They were absolutely relentless. I've got their fixtures in front of me now, and from the sixteenth of January on, it's just win, 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 Lots so nil, win. Lots of them one nil.
2: Cantona 70th Towards minute the end, yeah. as well. Yeah in the last few games and Peter Schmeichel man of the match more often than not as well. But I remember that game vividly because I wasn't, I wasn't there actually. I was only, uh, I would only be 14 at the time. I wasn't at the game. Um, I was listening to that in my bedroom in, in the little council house in Jarrow. And when Cantona scored that goal, I kicked the bed next to me very hard (laughs) and really hurt me foot. And I'm, I'm, must have effed and jeffed for about 20 minutes to the point where my mum came upstairs and was like are you okay what's going on and i was you know and a typical teenage overreaction but i still feel it now i still feel that emotion it was just it was heartbreak wasn't it chris well it's slightly different for me because i was actually
3: four years old at the time so i don't So just to make George feel even older than he is. Um, so
2: you were just <laughs> you had porridge down your front. So just get Ma- ready for bed.
3: So it's strange because I know, and obviously I've grown up and I've watched the game, and it, it, it's almost it's it, it's strange when I talk about the the sort of that season because I, I did live it in the sense that I, I was alive, but I was I, I wasn't really aware of what was going no. on, and so I've I've grown up and then learned about it afterwards and watched the games afterwards and seen it back, but that is the one where. I know that there's the famous 4-3 at Liverpool but that is the one where it just felt that it's just not going to be it wasn't going to be that year because that was the game where you thought if they'd won, if they'd won that the position they'd been in it would have stunted uh, Manchester United's momentum it would have picked Newcastle's momentum up again yeah. at a crucial time but instead it confirmed that change in momentum that they'd been and so yeah, it's 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 strange because it's 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 nostalgic for me, but not in the sense that I actually lived it. it. It's nostalgic for me in the sense that I got brought up in all of that yeah. and then have subsequently learned about it.
2: It's it's interesting, isn't it, George? Because we've a lot of the times on these archive sections that we've done, we've looked back at a, at a, a high point or a good moment, something that's been a, a moment of joy. But this is very much the opposite of that. But it is important to reflect on these moments in the club's history because they are huge moments, aren't they?
4: Oh yeah, and in some ways, this this actually was the high point of Keegan's Newcastle. I would say in that, you know, in terms of that performance, you're playing against your rivals for the league, and this wasn't Newcastle getting a spawn-y, uh victory against them defending for ninety minutes. It was wave after wave it after was. wave of Newcastle attacks, and Keegan is right when he says that Newcastle battered Man U that night. They did, they he absolutely did. did. But the scoreline. Tells a very different story. I'll read the team out. Cernicek, Barton, Albert, Howie, Beresford, Batty, Janela, Lee, Aspria, Bearsley, Ferdinand. And one of the questions that Shearer asked uh, Kevin in that interview was about, he says, you know, when you watch Man City, you must see parallels in the way they play. Keegan didn't really answer this, but he was talking about, you know, those defenders being comfortable on the ball. I mean, Philippe Alpeau yeah. wanted the ball. He wanted yeah. to be on the ball. Steve Howie, you know, an up classy centre half. They were all comfortable with the football. And, you know, we make jokes about the current team, sort of the football being their enemy. It was the absolute opposite. Yeah. They, they adored the ball. And, you the clip we've just heard is kind of OTT in the sense of that sort of sad music that goes with it. But it was such a vibrant night that night because Newcastle were the kings. They were the kings. And it it was a dreadful result, but some performance, some performance.
2: That season got away from Newcastle, didn't it? You you think Newcastle's uh, lack of experience of being in those situations was the thing that maybe hindered them at the end of it?
3: Yeah, I mean, if you, if you look back and and see it like that, Man United had already won titles. Ferguson was very experienced in that sort of situation. Kevin Keegan himself was still a relatively novice manager. I mean, yeah, he'd only yeah. he'd, he'd 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 come he'd been away for five years in in or wherever it was playing golf before he came back to Newcastle to bring them up into well to save them from relegation to third tier, bring them back up to the Premier. League. He was only his third or fourth season of manager. He hadn't experienced that sort of situation. And a lot of those players hadn't experienced that sort of situation in that in that environment that they're and they were in. And they were trying to win the title in a different way. So it yeah. wasn't... It, a lot of people say oh if he just brought in a defender if he just done it he didn't that wasn't how he believed that football should be that wasn't what he wanted to do Kevin King that wasn't the way that he wanted to win the title so it wasn't in his mindset to do that and a a few years ago I remember watching uh, one of those Sky Sports documentaries where they have four of them sitting around and I think Ginola and Beresford are on there and I I remember vividly Ginola saying that we never even thought we need another defender here. that wasn't even in their mindset at that point to think we just need to show up and win a few games here that wasn't what that team was built do and you'll never know but you could almost argue that if they had tried to do that would they have been as effective anyway because that wasn't how the team was set up those players as as, as Alan said before it was just go out and play be free and if you remove that freedom would they have been as effective a team there's so many what ifs and it will remain that big what if season
4: in Newcastle United's history. It's funny you say that Chris because I think that match was David Batty's debut and I do also remember that sense of What's Keegan doing? Bringing in a def- holding midfielder. You know, why hold playing a holding midfielder at home? And obviously, Batty was very good on the ball as well. But yeah. we had that sense of, hmm, really, this is a bit defensive, isn't it? And of course, <laughs> yeah. it was. It was sort of, it was anything but. I mean, I think the sadness in in some ways come. I mean, it was a big moment not doing it, and obviously, there was a huge amount of tension and upset. But at the end of that season, and I know this from speaking to players at the time. But also just my memory as a fan was that, oh, fine, we'll do it next year. And then that was the summer that they brought in Shearer for a world record feat. You do not make a bigger statement than that. And the sad thing is that, you know, things were changing behind the scenes, as Kevin talks about in that Mm. piece. And he was probably exhausted. I think he was sort of mentally uh, sort of exhausted at the end of that season. But really, at the time, it was, okay. well, we didn't do it this year, but we'll do it next year.
2: I spoke to Rob Lee about that game a while ago, actually, and he said Newcastle could have played till midnight that night, they wouldn't have scored. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, yeah. Peter Schmeichel would have still been saving, saving shots, gone, yeah, yeah. gone Even midnight. Now. It's, it, it's yeah. just an incredible, uh, an incredible moment, isn't it? But you know, uh, I mean, we apologise, dear listener. We are used to some, uh, some joy and some light, but it's always good to look back on these moments and see exactly what happened, isn't it? And 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 what a fantastic game of football! But what a fantastic era for the club as well. And would love to see some of that again.
4: Oh, blind me. I mean, it's ruined my life, really. I mean, it was because because I always expect oh. I expect football, it was, you know, ninety-two was the year that I came back from uni and I went to every home game that season in the promotion yeah. season. And, you know, I was literally getting to the stadium 90 minutes before kickoff because that was the only way you could be guaranteed to get in. Yeah. And and then got a half season ticket halfway through. And I will always relate football back to that mm-hmm. season. And then the first couple of years back in the Premier League, to me, that is what football is. And to me, that's what Newcastle is. And so, you know, for young kids who are only sort of familiar with Mike Ashley's version of Newcastle, I'm sure they get sick to death of hearing old bastards like me talk about that. But it's that is what yeah. I think Newcastle as a city should feel like on a Saturday yeah. night. And it's how the team can be and should be. And so it's ruined football forever.
2: I was ten years old when I first went to St James's Park in 1992, and at that point, I did love football. I loved playing. I loved playing it. I loved playing football, and I loved um, you know I loved the players, and I loved. I used to love watching England and all that sort of stuff, but I don't think I fell in love with football because they're very different things. I don't think I fell in love with football until Kevin Keegan came to Newcastle. Oh, okay. And that happened with that team. And I think that was the beginning of my sort of my long relationship with Newcastle United. And that was where it started. And to me, being able to sit and talk to Alan Shearer and listen to Kevin Keegan talk about those times. I mean, it's amazing to me to do that. It, it's a fantastic privilege. And, and you know, I mean, we're lucky that we actually got to see that, George. You know, yeah, we're yeah. in a situation we're in now. But never forget, I mean, there's some some kids who will never know that, who might never know that that Newcastle United. And we got the chance to see it. We were there. Yeah. We saw it firsthand. It's amazing. And, you know, hair's on the back of your neck standing up, listening to that clip. Incredible stuff. Anyway, let's shelve the emotion for five minutes. No, no. Let's move on, no, let's move on no, to something no. less
4: emotional. I disagree. <laughs> now is when the emotion really kicks in because it's you and Chris facing off in the quiz.
2: Oh, I got an image of John Travolta and Nick Cage in my head there. Face well, off. you can do that if you want. Yeah. Let's just kill each other, Chris. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: <laughs> right this is the emotion this is where oh, the, have you got your dis- dinger
2: with you george yes we're going to move on to the the Newcastle united <laughs> pub quiz we haven't done this for a little while so it's nice to get back to it and your quiz master for today's event is mr george <sighs> yeah.
4: so i'm thinking i hadn't even thought about the pub and i should have done but i'm just gonna to have to say the strawberry i think so i'm gonna say oh. the strawberry because we're talking about uh keegan and uh you know such an iconic figure so i'm going to I'm gonna pick this up strawberry. It's five to three on a Saturday. It's just before kickoff, and we're bolting a pint before making it into the into the stadium. Which George so, does know. before before games as well, yeah. Professionally. Oh, obviously, A couple of year got bombs. And it is this this is a this is a Kevin Keegan special, this quiz. Okay. So um, I need to find a coin. I need to toss a coin. Hang on just walked
2: through Alan Shearer on his Zoom call. <laughs> right. I've got a coin.
4: Right. So we're going to um right so to decide who goes first. So I'm gonna say Taylor, heads or tails? Tails. It is a Euro tail. Oh euro. Oh very good. so you can go first. Right. So Kevin Keegan special round one. Okay. Kevin played for Newcastle. Between 1982 and 1984, how many league appearances did he make? Was it 78? Was it 81? Or was it 76? So how many league appearances did Kevin Keegan make for Newcastle? Was it 78, 81 or 76?
2: Oh, I mean, it's a guess. It's it's a guess, this one. Um, Let's go with 78, the first one.
4: Come on! So, uh, I'll take that. One that was pure. Chris, that was a pure guess. One, One point to Taylor. Christopher, in the same period, how many league goals did Keegan score for Newcastle? Was it thirty-nine? Was it forty-eight? Or was it forty-six? I repeat: how many league goals did Kevin Keegan score for Newcastle? Was it thirty-nine? Forty-eight? 46.
3: I was going to say, I know it's around about one and two, but all of those sort of figures are around about that, so that doesn't really help. <laughs> um, I, for some reason, having have in my mind 48, but I don't know whether I've seen it. Do you remember when the, the Chronicle did all those cards years ago where you could get all the different... Yes. And I, I think I remember that being on one of them, so I'm going to go for 48, but I'm probably wrong. Yes! Oh,
4: Christopher. One. Oh. Christopher, Christopher waffles. One. It's not a bad record that. Okay, it was in the what is now the championship. 48 goals in 78 games. That's pretty pretty flipping good. Right. We now have two penalty shootout rounds, okay? <laughs> so this sounds very complicated, yes, it but does. It's not. <laughs> but it's not, okay? So what I'm wanting you to do is to name a team, a Newcastle 1 to 11 between you or players in that team and we're going to do it in a penalty shootout format all right this will become clear as i explain right i hope so (laughs) kevin keegan's first match in charge of newcastle as manager was at home to bristol city on february the 8th 1992 the crowd doubled immediately and newcastle won 3-0 so what i'm asking you to do is to name as many of the first 11 as possible you get five guesses each one after the other if you're right you score a penalty if you're wrong you miss and at the oh. end of that five goes will um i mean taylor has goal.
3: a massive advantage of having lived through this i mean i, I probably know about three yes. i mean, was nine this. chris <laughs> i wasn't
4: there do you know what i mean uh, perhaps no. the second perhaps perhaps this next penalty shootout will help you though chris oh. so i'm going to i'm going to say <laughs> that taylor's going to go first we'll carry on uh, in the format that we're doing so, so do I just reel off five or do I... No, go I want turn you to name eighties? one. Yes, it's one turn each. So it's Newco- It's Kevin Keegan's first match as Newcastle manager, February the 8th, 1992, against Bristol City and a 3-0 win. Okay. Um,
2: was Tommy Wright, was he the goalkeeper?
3: <laughs> Correct. Come on. Chris. I well, know John Anderson wasn't because John Anderson, I remember him telling me a story about how he woke up in hospital for the injury that ended his career and heard that Kevin Keegan was coming back. So I'm not going to say John Anderson. Uh, Steve Howie.
2: What? <laughs> what? oops. Oh, dear.
4: So it's 1-0 to Taylor at the end of the first round of penalty kicks. Second penalty.
2: Okay. Um, let's have a think about defenders. Um... Kevin Scott, he would have been there at the time.
4: (laughs) Correct.
2: This might
3: be a 3-0 defeat.
4: Straight down the middle.
2: Part of me is going to feel slightly disappointed if I don't get all of these right. I'm going to be honest with you.
4: Chris, your second guess.
2: Uh, Mickey Quinn. Wah, wah, (sighs) Oh, dear.
1: It's a 2-0
4: lead in the penalty shootout. This is already a big moment. Taylor. Um, I believe a very young Steve Watson would have been there.
2: (laughs) Get in. Absolutely
4: extraordinary. To the keeper's right, keeper doesn't even get a hand to that. (laughs) Yes. Um. Come on, think of a forward. (laughs) David Kelly? Correct. David Kelly.
2: That's what I was going to say next.
4: It's 3-1. So this is to win the penalty shootout.
2: Um, Oh, my God. Oh, uh, Liam O'Brien. He must have been playing then.
4: so there we go well so are those my two players
3: on the bench were they in the squad only the two players that I said or did I just go I'm completely not, wrong era
4: I can't remember
2: who else you said Mick Quinn did you say Howie. I said Qu- Quinn and Howie I'm I mean Quinn sure. was definitely
3: there because I know that Quinn and, and Keith oh he was there, there yeah, yeah, yeah no he was
2: there
4: yeah no he played he played in the following season yeah scored good right I'm going to go through the full team can I go for another oh, one right, got go to on get then. a perfect five is that all right go on then yeah go on then sure. um, oh, Chris come on give me this at least um, Gavin Peacock correct
2: Get in. Stinch yeah. That,
4: waffles. Yeah. Tommy Wright, Ray Ranson, uh, Alan Nielsen, Kevin Scott, Mark Stimpson Steve Watson, Kevin Brock, Liam O'Brien, Gavin Kevin Peacock, Brock. Terry Wilson, who was in his last game of a loan from Nottingham Forest, and Terry David Wilson. Kelly. David Kelly scored twice, and Liam O'Brien once. David so, Kelly was the first Newcastle
2: player I ever met. A great, what a great outside of a was. Outside of a game, is that why he, he left? Newcastle. Shut up. <laughs>
4: This is taking forever. But come on, we're on. moving on. We're moving on. It's two one to Taylor. So the second penalty shootout. Kevin Keegan's second spell as Newcastle manager oh, ended with a three nil defeat at Arsenal on August the thirtieth, two thousand and eight. So I want you to name me the Newcastle team from that day. And Chris, you can go first this time. It's a three nil defeat at Arsenal. Sheer sure given. Correct Taylor.
2: Um, uh, t- 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 oh, Jose Enrique.
4: Just drop me microphone. Correct. Yes. One all Chris.
3: Um Michael t- t-
4: t- 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 Owen. Oh I mean Ding has lost <laughs> it. Ding.
2: Oh, we can do tablets Correct. for that, George. We've got we we can sort that out for you. Correct.
4: <laughs> Chris taking a two-one lead in the penalty shoot out.
2: Um, Jonas Gutierrez.
4: Correct. This could Get not it. be closer. What Come a penalty on. shoot! That's a perfect penalty shoot so far. Chris. Oh, Jesus. Um. No, he was not playing. I'm sorry, you're wrong. <laughs> Jesus came on in the second half. Jesus. Uh, Fabrizio Colaccini oh.
2: correct. Um, Taylor. Taylor steps up.
6: Oh, shower
2: Amiobi. Surely. Sholer Amiobi. surely, Shola. Ami, surely Shola. Correct. Yes, Come on, 3-0. Chris. Oh. Wow. How uh, interesting.
1: Attention. In midfield. Uh, I'm more
2: nervous about this than I was about interviewing Alan Shearer, to be honest. Joey Barton. (laughs) Joey
4: Barton. (laughs) What what? Oops. He may
3: may well have been was he in prison then? I don't know.
2: (laughs) I don't know. know. So Taylor, it's a crucial moment. It's a crucial moment Uh, here. If I get this right, do I win? No. No. Right. Um Oh, God.
4: Um... I'm going to have to hurry you.
2: Oh, shit. Yeah, I know you are. I know. I'm sorry. Um...
4: Stephen Taylor. Stephen Taylor is correct. So, Chris, you've got to score to stay in this penalty shootout. You've got to score. There's no alternative. Well, there is. There's losing.
3: Uh, so we have already Chris gone through the centre-back, so Chris who's right-back? not many back? options left, to um, be honest
2: with you. This, this is difficult now.
4: Habib B. That is a great answer, and you get a ding for that. Mother. <sighs> so this is to win it, Taylor. I'm very impressed. Mm. this is to win it to win the quiz and to win the penalty shootout it's already been said (laughs) it's to win the whole thing well i'll tell you enrique given gutierrez owen schola Colacini, taylor and habib bay are the correct answers so far
2: oh god um no, it was too late. Charles and Zogbia. It was too late for Charles and Zogbia, wasn't it? He was gone by then. Oh no, because no, he went with Insomnia. Went after that. So, so it was
4: insomnia from me. Yeah, Charles yeah, and so. Zogbia. Charles and Zogbia. Charles and penalty in, yeah. shootout for the quiz itself. Come on. <laughs> correct! Yeah! This week's winner. Yes. Wow! Wow! Good that was a good, that p- I was mean, a good
3: performance. That I'll, g- I'll give you that cheer. one. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite as bitter. Oh, Proud he's of got five out. Of well, he
4: would have had five out of five if the first one had counted as a. Whoa, five but, Christopher I mean, Waffles! That, extraordinary stuff! Oh, beautiful, beautiful, extraordinary stuff! Good I mean, quiz, I I good It was a good I mean, quiz. Easy. It lasted too long. My apologies. It did last
2: too long, but I'm sure we can we can do something about that in post, can't
4: we, chaps? <laughs> we can just edit it out completely. Yeah, just edit the whole thing. That was good. Oh, great questions though, George. Wonderful. Thank you. I like the penalty shootout format.
2: Well, listen, lads, it's been brilliant today. I've really enjoyed this. And we've had a wonderful, wonderful afternoon talking to Alan Shearer about Kevin Keegan. And I never thought I'd ever get to say that, but it's been absolutely magnificent. Um, Thank you so much, chaps, for your time, George and Chris. And uh, we're going to speak to you very, very soon on Pod of the Time. Look after yourselves. Make sure you get on the website, theathletic.com forward slash Newcastle Pod. And check out that interview with Kevin Keegan by Anne Shearer. It's a wonderful, wonderful read. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Ding! (laughs) Uh, Very good. Oh well done oh, team. Chris, I, I Chris, I don't think you you could have played all day and you wouldn't have won. No, no, i not. <laughs> I was on fire today. My
3: next guess was gonna be Damien Duff, so I think I would have been wrong anyway. You oh, oh, did
4: not oh, go through the whole team. Oh, but oh don't worry about no it. No Who mind. was the rest given, of the team? Given Taylor, Colicini, Enrique, Bay, Gutierrez, and Zogbia, Danny Guthrie. Guthrie, fucking. Nicky it. Butt Guthrie but, but and Schola. Amazing. Yeah. Wow and I did have a tie break, what was it? Oh yeah, a tie break, okay, I would have done this but we went on far too long Kevin Keegan's single, Head Over Heels in Love was released in 1979 in John which position, position yeah. did the single peak in the UK record charts whoever gets closest wins Oh, 23rd. 23, you say you got to number 23 in the UK S- hit parade 17 well it was 31 so Chris <laughs> well, would have bloody a consolation prize. Consolation prize. <laughs> Got to number ten in Germany. Wow. Oh my
2: god. Well, of course it did. I mean, he's only second to David Hasselhoff in Germany. Isn't he? So, you know, right. There we go. Thanks, chaps.
6: The Athletic.